Service members in the United States Armed Forces face unfathomable difficulties throughout their careers. The last thing they need to worry about is their pet's care while they're away fighting for their country. The unconditional love of a canine companion can be one of the best things in the world, and those in the military shouldn't have to miss out on that. But what happens to their dogs when they're deployed? Today's guest is on the case. Hello, I'm James Jacobson, and welcome to The Long Leash. Dogs on Deployment is the brainchild of a dual military family, a husband and wife team of Sean and Elisa Johnson. Sean served as a Navy helicopter co-pilot, Elisa, his wife, as a Marine Corps C-130 cargo aircraft commander. This nonprofit may sound familiar to you because we featured them in our second episode of The Long Leash. But we thought that what they do is so important, this interview deserves to be heard again. Dogs on Deployment is a national nonprofit which provides an online network for service members to search for volunteers who are willing to board their pets during their owner's service commitments. They've helped thousands of pets find boarding homes and have granted over $850,000 to military pet owners. Speaking with us today is CEO and founder, Elisa Johnson. Elisa, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. So you have an amazing story that I think all starts with your dog, J.D., Yes, JD has been an inspiration for a lot of things in my life. The biggest thing being the nonprofit that myself and my husband started Dogs on Employment. So tell me a little bit about that. How long has the organization been around? We founded the organization in 2011. Kind of the backstory on that was uh, I had just commissioned in the Marine Corps. Uh, It was something I always wanted to do in high school. uh, I ended up getting a college scholarship to go to University of San Diego to study engineering there. And I commissioned into the Marine Corps in 2011. My husband and I, we were married at the time, and he was in the Navy, and he had a dual service commitment where he had to deploy. So as soon as I got into the military, I had to go away for six months of training in Virginia, Mm -hmm. where I was going to be living in the barracks and going to be in the field doing Marine things (laughs) for six months. And I couldn't care for my dog. At the same time, my husband was deploying, so he couldn't care for our dog. And JD happens to be somewhat of a high-maintenance type of character, if you'd like to categorize him in that way. Well, tell me the story about (laughs) what kind of dog is JD, and how did JD come into your life? Well, he's a miniature Australian shepherd. He was, you know, the first baby, Sean and I, we had just gotten engaged and I had always wanted an Australian shepherd when I was a kid. And my mom ended up bringing home an Australian cattle dog, which is not the same dog. Regardless, I loved my cattle dog, but I always wanted a blue Merle, blue eyed Australian shepherd. And so we adopted JD, you know, he was our first kid, the whole nine yards happily ever after with our puppy. And well, he just grew up to be probably the worst behaved dog (laughs) possible. So no one wanted to watch him, surprisingly, when we had these dual service commitments. What year was that that you first got JD? Oh, let's see. That would have been 2008. Okay. And then when you were being sent to Quantico, what year was that? 2011. Okay. So you'd had three years of him. What was he like? Oh, gosh. 
I always called him like my soul puppy. You know, he's such a Velcro dog. He always had to be with you, but to the point of like, like obsession, you know, he walks around behind you licking your legs. Like it's not enough for him just to be behind you being near you. He also has to be licking you the whole time. So he's, he's a very needy, very high demanding dog, very treat motivated, but ornery and smart as heck. So You know, he could do all the tricks in the world, but he's the kind of dog that looks at you like, well, if you don't have like a filet mignon to give me, I'm not going to roll over. (laughs) He's very motivated by the important things in life. Okay. Very important things. (laughs) So your husband, Sean, is already on deployment or about to go on deployment when you get your orders? When I had first commissioned in the Marine Corps, I had some time before I ended up going to this training and Sean was preparing for his deployment. So we were really lucky in the fact that while we were trying to prepare for this dual military commitment and trying to figure out what to do with our dog, we were able to connect with some distant relatives that ended up miraculously saving us and watched JD. But Sean and I got into the car. JD was coming with us because our family happened to be in Virginia about 40 minutes from my base, which was really nice. And we got in the car together and we drove across the country. And during that drive, we started thinking like, wow, this like really, really was hard and difficult. And we're really lucky that we had a distant relative that was stepped up. And if they hadn't, we would have paid for professional boarding. You know, we were financially able to do that. But we kept thinking like, what about the people that aren't financially capable? You know, what about the junior enlisted that cannot spend $2,000 a month to board their pet while they go overseas? And started looking into the problem and it was actually a pretty significant problem to the point that there were a lot of animal shelters in military towns that I called and they were like, we don't even adopt to military families because the pets are relinquished all the time. So like we're driving across country and I was like, we should do something. (laughs) And uh, that's kind of where we got the idea for dogs on employment. And from there, you know, I got to Virginia. I checked in my hotel. I got a coding book for dummies, (laughs) taught myself how to write my first website. And it just kind of launched from there. And uh, it was a couple weeks after I checked into um, my new command that Sean actually deployed. So our timing was pretty right on point with one another. Paint for me the picture of that story of, you know, driving across the country from California to Virginia, where this idea was born. Well, there's one way to test a relationship, and that is getting in a two-seater convertible with a dog in the little compartment in the back, (laughs) not the trunk, but behind the seat, with all your stuff driving 24 hours across country with your spouse and your dogs that hates hates the car. So, you know, it was, it was like this brainstorming session, like what exists right now? What can we do? How big is this problem? I mean, we had no idea what we were doing, what we were starting. We couldn't see the end goal at first, but we just knew like there's a need out there and we should create something to try to fulfill that need. And so it gave us a lot of opportunity to kind of develop, you know, that initial stage of just creating this very basic network. I'm a military member and I need help with my pet and I'm just a person that wants to help military members and I love animals. And we bring these two together. And that was basically the very first idea of how we were going to build the core of our organization. And it's been pretty successful since. So when you went to Virginia, when you got there that day or whatever, you did the whole country in a day or two? Oh, well, yeah, I think we probably took three days, three or four days. I know we visited family on the way. So, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a long haul. When you got there, you went to a bookstore and tell me about that. 
I had no idea what I was doing. I was an engineer in college. No, I had never started a business before. I was 22, 23 years old. And I didn't know anything about nonprofits. I didn't even know what a 501c3 was. I had no idea how to do anything with web design or graphics or coding. I mean, I took a C++ class in college and I got a C+. So, you know, I wasn't I wasn't really spooled up on this, but I went to a Barnes and Noble and I walked right in and I said, "Where's the coding books?" and I bought HTML for dummies and uh, Nonprofit Management for Dummies book. And those two books, I read them front to back within like two days. I got my computer out. I downloaded you know, a free version of an HTML editor, and I just started plugging away. I built a very, very, I would say, archaic and rather unattractive website. <laughs> it did the job for the purpose that I needed it until we were able to secure funding to start to actually build a real website with, you know, professional help. <laughs> did the name Dogs on Deployment come to you during that trip? It did. Yeah. It was kind of the play on words for DOD, Department of Defense. Not that we have any affiliation with it. I have to say that. At first, we kept thinking, this is all about dogs. Like Dogs are the real problem. However, I will caveat that we accept all animals, cats, dogs, ferrets, parrots, guinea pigs, rabbits, snakes, turtles, chickens have all been posted on our website before. <laughs> okay. We're only about dogs. Though, but that's <laughs> great. I love the whole Noah's Ark. So you came up with the idea, the name, you got the coding book, you started doing it yourself. And did it actually go live with your first version that you created? Yeah, believe it or not. I had like a, this form that basically like people would fill out, you know, this is me, click send. It would come to my email inbox. I'd look at it and I'd create a manual profile using like tabular HTML and posted it. I mean, it was so archaic and so much manual labor. Like I'm not actually sure how I managed to do that while also trying to be a Marine and, you know, doing all my fun infantry-centric Marine Corps raw stuff in the field. Well, let's get into that. How did you balance that? Because you're excited about this new business, this new nonprofit that you're starting that can help lots of people, but also you're going through training and you're a pilot, right? I mean, let's yeah. not forget that small. Yeah. This isn't like you're on the ground. You got some important stuff to know. Yeah, it was a really challenging time because I was really passionate about dogs and employment. As it started to gain traction and as I started to be connected to the people that I was helping, I never wanted to let that go because no one else was doing it. And I knew if I quit, then all these people would go without any sort of assistance when they really were in a time of need. And so, you know, I had six months of this Marine Corps. It's called the Basic School. It's an infantry-centric school where every Marine learns to be a rifleman. And after that, I had about three years of flight school. And I learned how to fly a little single-engine plane. I learned how to fly in a King Air. And then eventually, I went to my first squadron, and I became a C-130 cargo aircraft commander. Oh, by the way, I was not with Sean, my husband, during the time. He was actually stationed in California. So I'm alone living by myself, going through school with my dog. And then I eventually adopted another dog. And then I started fostering dogs. So I just had all these dogs. And I had a parrot. And then I found cats in a box that I ended up keeping. So I had a menagerie <laughs> while going through all this training. And it was a really difficult balance because 
as a Marine, you're supposed to be very focused on your training. And I was, obviously it was very critical for me to be good at what I was doing. I was learning to fly aircraft into dangerous areas and with people aboard and people relying on me to know what I'm doing. And I had to really kind of compartmentalize both, you know, my career as a military aircraft commander, and then also what I was building in this nonprofit. And, you know, it was difficult sometimes to keep going. There were definitely days that I was like overwhelmed. I just couldn't do this anymore. But I would get somebody that emailed me and was like, I'm in this bind. I need help and I'm having a problem and I don't know what to do. And then all that doubt was gone because we're here to help. Can you recount a specific day that would have just felt like it was too much? Yeah, I definitely can. There was this point in time, it was very early on in my flight school, and we actually got invited to be on the Queen Latifah show. Every year, thousands of military men and women are deployed overseas to serve our country. Finding homes for their pets while they're gone can be really, really challenging. Luckily, a married military couple, Lieutenants Elisa and Sean Johnson, decided they would do something to help their fellow soldiers. You know, that was so exciting. Like, we got to go on, meet Queen Latifah. We did a big reunion on the show. It was a lot of um, excitement for the organization. This first time we were going to be in big media. And I had some support from my military chain of command, you know, to the point where the public affairs had to, like, approve it and everything. But when I ended up coming back, I got a lot of, like, flack for doing it. Like, you're not putting your priorities straight. You should be focused on the military and your career and flying. And I kept trying to like explain to these people that were supposed to be mentoring me that I am focused on those things, but I'm more than just a Marine. I'm more than just one thing. And I have the capacity to be able to do more with my life. And I think one of the biggest challenges for me was that I joined the Marine Corps. You know, for me, it was all about being a leader and helping others and trying to be a mentor to other people. And that's why I joined the Marine Corps. But when you're in flight school, it's all about you. It's your grades. It's how you perform. And so I was really lacking in the ability to connect with other people. And so through Dogs on Appointment, I was able to be fulfilled in that way because I was helping people. I was helping military members, which is why I joined the military. So in the military, I wasn't doing that. But in Dogs on Appointment, I literally was, you know, changing people's lives. And I couldn't understand why my chain of command didn't get that. And, um, you know, I actually got in a little bit of trouble after I was on the show because they basically told me, like, you should shut this down. This is conflicting with your training, even though I was still performing well. And I almost did, but it was actually kind of sad. My grandmother actually passed away that week. And uh, it kind of made me realize, you know, because I wasn't able to be there in her final days. And it kind of made me realize what's important in life. And she was always an animal lover. And she was so proud of dogs and employment. And I think it was really after her passing that I was like, you know, I, I whatever, you know, I, I can't change everybody's mind, but I know I'm impacting people and I can't stop doing this. Did you have a discussion with someone in your chain of command to kind of help explain your situation and your perspective? Yeah. You know, I, I had a lot of people that have backed me through the years and I'm forever grateful for their support. So, you know, there was always a, a selection of naysayers and then there were also a greater selection of people that 
were like, this is amazing. Now I had people that were supposed to be in charge of me that I was helping, (laughs) you know? And so there was both. There was definitely a greater amount of people that were supportive of the organization. But, you know, whenever you hit criticism, especially when it's critiquing your commitment to something that you believe in wholeheartedly. And for me, it was both the Marine Corps and my organization. It takes a toll on your soul. You have to have a lot of fortitude to be able to push through that. How did you push through that? Um, it was the people, you know, it was my volunteers. Um, there were days where I was so overwhelmed with my military obligations that I'd have to tell everybody that was volunteering for me. Like, I'm sorry. Like I'm trying to get the emails. I have literally 300 emails to go through, but I have to study for my test tomorrow, or I have to study for my check ride tomorrow or whatever, you know, my flying. And, um, they were always like, okay, like, yeah, we got this. And I had this, I mean, I still do. I have this amazing group of people that support the organization as volunteers. And if it wasn't for them, this organization would not have survived this long. So it was the people that really made me want to stay committed. When you first started this, did you think that you'd be so dependent on volunteers? I had an anticipation that I would, but I never thought it was going to grow so big. I always thought like, oh yeah, I get a couple of people here and there and I can, sure, I can help them like, you know, on a one-on-one basis. And then suddenly like, especially after we were on the Queen Latifah show, I mean, our website crashed because there were so many people coming to it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to need some help. (laughs) And how did you go about soliciting that help? It was all through social media. There's both burdens and, you know, joys of having social media. And one of the benefits for us is definitely that we were a grassroots grown organization. I pushed out the first Facebook page, didn't do like any advertising or anything. I didn't have money for that. I was just people that were like, found it through word of mouth mostly. And I reached out to a lot of military like support groups and spouse groups that really helped gain that initial foothold in military communities. And it was like the public just slowly started to trickle in to the point where, you know, since 2011, when we started, we've had over 70,000 registered boarders that have been active at one point or another. So I'm really proud of that. You should be. That is incredible. We're going to take a quick break right here. But when we come back... We're going to hear about how Dogs on Deployment is like a dating app. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spike smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpuff, traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. It helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day, because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want my Everpup. It just makes me feel good. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com. 
where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. Welcome back. I understand that you describe dogs on deployment as a sort of dating app. Yes, I always need to put that emphasis, actually, that it is like a dating app because we are not a foster organization. We do not take a military member's pet and then place it in foster care. Instead, what we do is we provide a network where we screen and approve military members for our network, but it's the military member that has to connect with the border. So when you register on dogsandemployment.org as a border, we call them DOD borders, but essentially they're foster homes. You create your profile, you talk about your household, your own pets, what you're looking for, how long you can board, all these criteria. And it's the military member that gets to look at that profile and determine like, is this person suitable for my pet and for my needs? Are most of the borders ex-military or military themselves? I would not say most of, but definitely there are several. And in fact, that's one of the checkboxes that you can put on your DOD border profile is if you are a military family or not, because that certainly helps make immediate comfort and connection when you're an active duty service member that's in our network, just to know that that person on the other end of the phone or, you know, to do a meet and greet with your dog, that they understand what you're going through. So again, how many borders are registered currently? Roughly. We have about 3,000 or more that are actively using our website. Okay. And then in terms of the total number of pets, mainly dogs, that you have provided homes to, how many? About 2,200. Wow. And tell me a little bit about the, I've heard the expression battle buddy. What's a battle buddy? It's kind of this like endearing term for somebody that you go through, you know, conflict with. So it's this idea of like, you know, you go into combat with somebody and you're intimately connected with them. And I think it really translates to this kind of idea of having companionship with a canine companion while you're in the service. Because, you know, sometimes being in the service can be a bit lonely. You're traveling a lot. You're moving a lot. Your friends come and go. You know, we unfortunately have this kind of cloud over us, too, of danger and death. I mean, as sad as that is, I've had friends that have passed away through this um, experience of being in the service. And so, and then you also have a lot of emotional trauma that comes from being in the service. And so having you know, a canine battle buddy, so to speak. People always ask like, well, if you're in the military, why do you have a dog? Just doesn't seem to be compatible. And that's not true at all. You just have to make the right arrangements to make it responsible. And, you know, when you're a service member coming home to that dog and they love you unconditionally and they're always going to be there for you, uh, it really gives a sense of peace and belonging when your life can be in chaos. Mommy, is that your mommy? I watched some incredibly touching reunion videos that you all were responsible for. Tell me a little bit about the importance of chronicling those reunions. Well, I mean, for one, it's great just to get the word out there for people. I mean, there's there's nothing better than having a reunion video go viral. And it's not just a reunion video, right? Because there are hundreds and hundreds of reunion videos on the internet. But what's very special about our reunion videos is that somebody can watch it and be like, wait, I can be a part of that? I can be on the end of that phone, like actually being the one videotaping that reunion and be a part of that utter happiness and joy. And so it's really important to be able to 
kind of portray that to people. I think one of the great things about dogs on deployment is that we're an organization that allows anybody, military background, not a military background, whoever, anybody can be intimately connected to helping an actual service member, an actual hero of this country. And not a lot of organizations can say that. Now, a lot of organizations, you donate and your dollars go towards helping veterans or service members, which is all fantastic. But to be a part of that, that moment of when that reunion occurs is a really special gift that I love to see people kind of understand and appreciate that like patriotism almost. I imagine with the thousands of pets that you have provided assistance to, there must have been at least a handful of cases where the active duty service person did not come back. You know, um, we have been very fortunate in the fact that that has not happened. We have had issues with military members being reunited such that, you know, they deployed overseas and they came home and they immediately went back out or for whatever reason, their situation changed and, um, They couldn't keep the dog anymore for a litany of reasons. And it's always been a good resolution. Our organization does our best to support those service members and the pets and the boarders as well. In um, the few cases that I'm thinking of, we were very lucky that the DOD boarder just ended up adopting the dog permanently. But part of the organization and the screening process for the pet owner is that the military member has to put in a name of transfer of care so that if something were to happen to them, unfortunately, that the boarder knows who to contact. Got it. And how frequently does the average active duty soldier get photos or images or like updates about their dog while they're away? So we don't manage necessarily the communication between the pet owner and the border, but we do recommend that that communication has to be ongoing. Some of our best borders actually have created Facebook pages or Instagram accounts, and you can follow them with hashtag dogs and employment. And they'll post all these pictures and videos of the dog or cat while they're in boarding and having fun with their foster brothers and sisters and going on walks and whatnot. And it's really great to see that because you know that that service member is where they are in the world. They're watching that. They're looking at those photos and they're able to remain connected to something that they love very much that they're not with. And so uh, we love it when our DOD boarders go ahead and, you know, share profiles for the pets that they're caring for. I watched that video of you on YouTube talking to that group in San Diego, Mm -hmm. where you told the story of the day when someone said that you were not eligible to adopt a dog. Yeah, um, that was a clever talk, sort of like a TED talk, but specifically geared for military members. What I was discussing then was when I had adopted JD, I had already started dogs and employment. I was in the military. It was when I had finished the six-month basic training and I was going to flight school. And I had been looking for a companion for JD because he was so high energy. And I wanted another female, blue merle, blue-eyed Australian shepherd. So I had very picky taste. But JD at the time, he was from a breeder and I didn't really know about adoption at the time. I didn't know anything about it until I ended up getting involved with dogs and employment. So I was very adamant that my next dog had to be, you know, from a rescue. So I had first applied to one rescue group to adopt this particular dog and I sent pictures and, you know, I told them all about dogs and employment and here's this whole story of our experience with JD and how he's like an integrated part of our family and all this stuff. And 
the adoption agency just immediately denied me. And I was like, well, why? Like, I'm a great pet owner. Like, I do anything for my dogs. I literally started a national nonprofit for my dog. And uh, they were like, well, you're in the service. We just, we just have a rule where we don't adopt military families. And I was like, wow. I was I was actually like speechless at this time because I felt so discriminated against because I am a responsible pet owner and I have done everything for my dog. I mean, my dog has two TPLO surgeries. It's insane. He's insured. He eats the best food possible. Like, why won't you adopt me this dog? And um, they just refused. And I really got upset. In fact, I think that's probably when I started like really pushing dogs on appointment because I kind of wanted them to see our organization, like, you know, become more popular. So they'd realize that they were kind of um, in the wrong. But then a year later, I ended up finding another organization that uh, did adopt me, our our dog Jersey, and she's the best thing that ever happened. So I guess in hindsight, it was fine. (laughs) If the present you today had some advice to the old you when you were just getting the idea on that trip across the country, what would that advice be? Don't get so overwhelmed by the difficulties in life. I think one thing I always struggled to understand was like my own strength and my own perseverance. And I always doubted myself a little bit and it caused me to have a lot of problems trying to be a strong Marine female all the time. There was all these expectations on me and it was really wearing on my self-esteem and on my, on my soul really. And, um, I wish I could go back and just tell myself that, you know, just believe in you and in what you're doing and you're going to be fine in the end. What are the biggest challenges that the organization faces now? Right now, it's been an interesting year, obviously. 2020 has thrown everyone for a curveball. One of the things that we kind of pivoted this year, actually, which I guess you could consider a positive, is we're trying to help more than just active duty service members. So we've always done active duty service members on deployments and training and et cetera. We've always helped veterans when they're coming home, maybe getting you know PTSD treatment or doing job training or rehabilitation or something like that. But what we realized this time around, especially with the California wildfires, when nurses and doctors were deploying on the USNS hospital ships and going to New York, there's more people in this world that are heroes that we can support. We have this amazing network of people that want to help America's heroes, and we need to tap into that. So actually, one of the great positive things about 2020 is that we opened our doors to first responders, police, fire, and healthcare workers when they're responding to natural disasters and pandemics. So a positive spin. But, you know, it's also been challenging because a lot of our service members were extended So we had to deal with the kind of fallout of these DOD borders that are facing financial crises themselves that are maybe not expecting to have another, you know, their dog for a longer period of time, but there's no one to take them because that military member is, you know, on a ship stuck in quarantine and they can't come home, you know, until they're allowed back into support. So it's definitely been interesting and a challenge for everybody involved in the organization. Is there any financial support available to the DOD borders? So our organization puts the onus on the military pet owner that they are to remain financially responsible for their pet for all basic care during boarding. So there should be no financial obligation of the border. So 
when we have had issues where maybe the pet owner isn't able to pay for emergency treatment or extended boarding or, or something, you know, that's part of the benefit of being within the Dogs Employment Network as opposed to just finding somebody, you know, on social media is that we will be there to support when something isn't going as planned. Other side of our organization is not only do we do military pet fostering, but we also have a financial assistance program, which we call the Pet Chip, where we provide financial aid to military members for help with their pet care. How is the fundraising going? What's your budget now? Our budget is about $250,000 and we fluctuate on that depending on, you know, how our fundraising is going during the year. But a large portion of what we fundraise goes directly back to our military members through that pet chip program. We've provided nearly $800,000 in financial assistance to military and veteran families. And big chunk of it is helping actually move military pets. So a lot of people don't realize it, but if you're a service member and you have orders to go overseas, the military will pay for you and your family to go. They will not pay for your pet to go. So unless you're a very, very lucky military member that gets a flight for your dog on a military airline, which is not very likely, you have to come up with the funds to ship your pet commercial, which can be anywhere from two to $10,000, depending on where you're going and the size of your pet and the time of year. And so a lot of military members struggle financially to come up with those funds. So our pet chick covers that, as well as just emergency treatment. A service member's dog gets hit by a car and they can't afford the emergency vet bill. We're there. Spay and neuter. We want all military pets to be spayed and we want all dogs and cats to be spayed and neutered. We help with that. So that aspect of our organization is a huge way that, you know, your donations go directly back to those military families. I am a service member. I run this organization. I am the one that physically opens up our checks and cashes them. I'm the one that physically makes the phone calls to the veterinarian clinics and says, hey, I need to help this service member and their dog, you know, how much do they owe and how much can we put down? So I'm that person. So it's really, really important for me that our supporters know how important and impactful their donation is and that it actually helps people. And this is a full-time job for you now. It is. Yeah. As soon as I got out in November of last year, 2019, I went to work for Dogs and Employment full-time because I just can't picture myself doing anything else. Paint the typical day for me. Well, after I drop off my three and a half and one and a half year old, I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> I come into my office and it's it's creative. It's it's responding to people, it's connecting, it's you know, making sure things are working properly, it's responding to our Instagram followers, it's you know, telling donors how much we appreciate them, it's connecting with the service members that need the help. And if they're not finding a border in their area, okay, well, how do we find them a border? Let's get on that. It's connecting with the media. It's doing interviews like this. It's getting the word out. You know, it's, it's nonprofit. It's still a business, but it's fun. It's exciting. And it's something I'm passionate about. It marries your two passions. It does. So I imagine there are a few anecdotes that you can recall, probably, you know, favorite stories with all the dogs that you have helped. Can you share a couple? Oh my goodness. There are so many. <laughs> 
know, for example, our mascot this year, Callie, if you go to our website, there's this really cute golden dog and she's got these big stand-up ears and her owner, Elizabeth, was in the army and she was at the peak of her career and she ended up having a stroke and she had to be taken off of her deployment. She had to be removed from her unit and she had to go to a wounded warrior transition program. And she struggled with that, you know, her mental health, just being taken out of the service. It's difficult. And um, in her rehabilitation and recovery, she ended up adopting Callie and Chaos. And right as soon as she got medically cleared to go back to active duty service, she deploys. And she has these dogs and she's like, okay, what now? And she ended up going to finding dogs on employment, registering, and she connected with two of our amazing boarders, um, Tim and Kim. Uh, They're out here in California and they watched Callie and Chaos for the time that she was gone. I think it was, it was over a year. And, um, just to her thankfulness, you know, now she's a face of our organization, you know, Callie is our mascot. And just to hear somebody talk about the organization and how much it literally saved them, especially coming from somebody that has gone through so much turmoil themselves. And to know that we were a part of saving that mental health because they didn't have to worry about their dog is really powerful. Where do you see your future? I want this to be a strong organization. You know, I never say that like, oh, we don't need to be bigger. We don't need to be a million dollar organization and have t-shirts sold in Walmarts. You know, like that's never who I want to be. I never want to lose focus of our core mission of helping America's heroes with peace of mind concerning there was pets care. So for us, I think, you know, we just want to get the word out more. I want to be able to help more people. And that's part of opening up the network to other first responders. And I just want to make it more efficient. I want to see the ability for people to connect, you know, to be easier and more fluid. I want more people to know about it because I want them to sign up and I want them to be there in case they're needed. The best case scenario is we put ourselves out of business. Honestly, the best case scenario is dogs and employment doesn't need to exist because military members always have a plan for their pets, but that's not reality. And so we just need to be in a constant position to be able to respond to the reality of military members are going to need help and we need to be there for them. Has the Pentagon shifted or has it come to be a little bit more interested in your organization? We don't get any inquiries <laughs> from from that, that area. Okay. So you really stay very independent and focused on what you're doing. Yeah. And then a big part when I was on active duty was that I could never be endorsing dogs in employment as an active duty service member. So our two entities have to remain very segregated because we have no endorsement by the Department of Defense. Or any, I don't know, USO or anything like that. We've worked with the USO on several occasions for fundraisers and stuff, and we appreciate what their mission is so much. So, so yeah, I mean, definitely we're all open to partnerships and we all are there to support the cause of helping military and veterans. So, Well, Elisa, if folks want to get in touch with you and support Dogs on Deployment, how do they do that? Our website is dogsondeployment.org and we're on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us. And uh, we appreciate the support and just being a part of our mission. Elisa Johnson, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate your time. 
Well, that is our show for you today. I'd like to thank you for joining us. I want to encourage you to subscribe to The Long Leash in your favorite podcast app or on our website at longleashshow.com. That's where you can also find all the back episodes. If you enjoyed the program, please tell a friend and check out all the other shows at Dog Podcast Network. You can find those at dogpodcastnetwork.com. Thank you for hitting the play button and spending some time with me today. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.